Hello everyone, it's Gavin here from Films on Trial, travelling from the future back into the past like Marty McFly to mess everything up. But I'm not worried about me fading away from a photograph. I'm just here to tell you the Films on Trial gets good at around episode four. That's not to say that Films on Trial isn't good from episodes one to four, but we really hit our stride in about episode four. We start introducing hilarious things like little songs and bits of quizzes and trivia etc but just want to say thank you very much to everybody who has listened and please continue to do so because honestly guys we do get better and better as the weeks go on so thank you very very much and goodbye everyone and welcome to the Films on Trial podcast. Uh, the concept of this podcast is that each week uh, us four lads are going to take a film and we're going to put it on trial and uh, depending the outcome, if it's good it'll end up on the hit list but if it's bad it will end up on the shit list. Uh, so there's four guys here and each one of us is going to act as a different role from a court scenario. There's going to be a judge presiding over the events who will decide which list the film ends up on. There's going to be a prosecutor who's going to try their best to condemn it, and the defence. And there's also going to be the fourth person who's going to act as a character witness who's going to try their very best to be impartial and just lend bits of information and opinions here and there. But to spice things up, uh, we're going to decide those roles by pulling our names out of a hat. So it might very well end up being that somebody has got to defend a film they absolutely hate, or somebody's got to prosecute a film that they absolutely love. Now, sorry for the very long-winded introduction there. Uh, without further uh, hesitation, I'm going to introduce ourselves. We are four lads from Liverpool who love watching films together and criticising them. We're like pretty much the Beatles of film reviews. Uh, the bitchy Beatles, if you will. Uh, I'm Gavin, and just a little bit about myself. My favourite film is The Thing, and my least favourite film is probably Suicide Squad, because you know why. Uh, so to my left, uh, Captain Dave Farrow. Dave. I'm Dave. I'd say my favourite film is probably Godfather. My least favourite film is The Tree of Life. Uh, <laughs> leading on from that, we'll, we'll get into that later in the podcast. Uh, my name's Alex. Uh, my favourite film is Magnificent Seven. Nothing to do with Denzel Washington or Chris Pratt. Magnificent Seven, but the actual good one. And my least favourite film, it's anything by Richard Curtis, but especially Love Actually. So I'm Joel. My favourite film is probably Saving Private Ryan. Uh, I've got a bit of a soft spot for uh, for some war films. And my least favourite film is Aliens vs. Predator 2. I don't think of. There's been very few films that I've never not been able to finish, and I think that's the most memorable one for the. Um, vivid nightmares afterwards. Oh man, it just goes to show my tremendous uh, testament of character that I've actually watched that film about five times. Oh, it, says some, it says a lot about you, guys. I'm not sure, <laughs> not sure if it's a testament. Though. Why would you? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm a, I'm a weird guy. Um, so before we actually start the bulk of the podcast, which is the movies on trial, uh, we're going to do a weekly uh, kind of review of the news. So each one of us is going to go away and we're going to pick our biggest piece of news from the week. Um, so uh, I'm going to start, if that's okay, guys. Uh, my kind of piece of news for the week is uh, they've just announced Mamma Mia 2. Mm. 
exactly. And Mamma Mia, here we go again. Why, why, why? Why, why? I just don't understand why. Why, why is there a need for a second one? I have absolutely no idea. I mean, Mamma Mia, the first one was just... I don't know. I didn't get it. Maybe, I don't think, in fairness, we're not the demographic that Mamma Mia was going for. So, the okay, fact that we're yeah. sat around saying, oh, we don't care about Mamma Mia 2 won't be, you know, no one's going to lose sleep. In exactly. No, it. Streep's never going to listen to this. Go, <laughs> oh, no. Oh, I don't like it. Uh, yeah, yeah, I understand it. Because it is one of the kind of biggest uh, films. Um, I'm pretty sure it's in like the top 20 uh, of the highest grossing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, it's, it's, well, to me, the main issue is. Um, the, the, the original film was based on the West End Smash, um, and that was using songs from Abba's uh, back catalogue. Uh, now, in my opinion, didn't they technically use all of the Abba songs from the first one? All the best ones. Or, or at least all the best ones, yeah. yeah. Um, but, so anyway, I was reading into it, and apparently there are, there are going to be new Abba songs. Well, not new as in they're being written by Abba who are reforming just for this film, but new as in ones that haven't been used in the previous film. Um, so, as you said, probably the worst ones. <laughs> Do you think you'll go and see it? Anyone got any? I've still not seen the first one. You've not seen the first one? No. You're not just curious just to know what the... Yeah, what the maybe, maybe one day, you know, but not right now. So you heard that Pierce Brosnan sang in a film and that hasn't piqued your interest. Oh, I've YouTube that though. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so uh, Joel, what's your biggest piece of news from the week? Um, so mine is that uh, Tom Hardy is going to star in the Venom movie, um, which is actually owned by Sony Pictures. So it's going to be really in- relatively interesting how they how they work this one out because obviously um, Spider-Man: Homecoming, Spider-Man has been lent to, to Marvel from Sony. Um, so it's not been confirmed yet whether Tom Holland will appear in um, Venom, but they have said that the um, two universes are not connected in any way mm-hmm. um, so whether they'll be like carrying on the storyline um, from the Amazing Spider-Man 2 and referencing events from that and just having Tom Holland playing Spider-Man I don't know um, but like having Tom Hardy in there has definitely uh, you know, piqued my interest a little bit Yeah I'd say Tom Hardy as Venom was probably an excellent choice I mean it's, it's got to be better than uh, Two for Grace <laughs> I, don't, I literally don't remember in Spider-Man 3, what was, yeah. what was he like? Oh, I, just I ter- just it's terrible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like that. So in the um, in the comics, um, a, a Brock was was a bit of a bully, and Venom attached onto him, or, or the, what, what's it called, the symbiote, yeah. um, attached onto him, and it kind of uh, that's why Venom Venom was so big and so angry and aggressive because it was kind of like his personality, his characteristics were being like kind of. Um, Amplified, yeah. Um, so with Topher Grace, he was a bit of a weirdly sort of nerd um, rival photographer to Peter Parker in the third film. And Peter Parker, when he went bad, you remember that oh, section? Yeah, <laughs> the, 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 the bad dancing. Um, he stole his girlfriend in a way, so that fueled Topher Grace to have um, kind of an, an angry um, shouting session um, in a bell tower, and that's where the, uh, the, the venom attached to him. It, it was it was just very very poorly done. I mean, you, you're just sitting around in the board meeting, you know, you've got this character, one of the probably the most identifiable um, bad guys in all of comic books. I'd probably say. Yeah. Um, so Spider Man is like um, Marvel's highest grossing superhero, I believe, like ever. Um, and obviously Venom is is a massive fan favorite out of that. And they just imagine like 
I don't know, like having Yoda, but just absolutely fuck, fucking, <laughs> fucking him up. But I can imagine the, the reaction from, from the Star Wars fans, you know, but um, it's probably something similar, you know, if, if you're into Spider-Man. Yeah, I'd, I'd say uh, Tom Hardy was, was yeah. a much better pick. And the, the size of him, the, you know, the kind of, the, um, the, the, the acting. It, it, he's, yeah. he's great as aim as well as yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So but let's just hope that um, we sort out um, his audio beforehand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah anyway, so uh, Dave, what is your <clears throat> biggest news topic of the week? Well, it's such a news topic because it's, it's kind of a rumour that's circulating at the moment. And the rumour is that Resident Evil could be getting a reboot. They could be going back to stage one, forget all the money, all the rich stuff, and that this could be the chance to deliver the film that the fans of the game have been wanting for some time. Could this be actually adaptations of the games? I don't know, but it's, uh, it's, it's got some potential. It's a lot to forget, though, isn't it? How many, how many Resident Evil films? Was there seven or was there eight? Seven? Um, I want to say seven. I want to say too many. I want to say um, they probably should have stopped at half. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think everything after the desert kind of just merged together for me. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that is a quiz question and a half, isn't it? How many Resident Evil films have been? Because a lot of them just merge into one terrible film. But they do make a ton of money. Yeah. They make a ton of The recent one was like 304 million or something around that mark. Like a massive amount of money. But to be honest, there's so much story material from the games, which is actually a good story. Really? Especially the first is it more, and second. Is it, all I know is just zombies. And I feel like that genre's been gone, you know? So is Resident Evil... No, I mean, I, I don't it's, know about it. It's the cynic amongst us. <laughs> yeah. Do we really need another zombie film? Well, yeah. But, like, do, does Resident Evil have another spin on zombies? Like, what's its theme in the zombie world, you know? It's only got another spin now, but at the time as it came out, a lot of uh, films have come on since have taken ideas from Resident Evil. Right, okay. So it's kind of a pioneer, but it never got the chance to, to lay those ideas in the film. Yeah, yeah so it's... Uh, yeah, some of the biggest games that ever graced yeah. the PlayStation. So I would say this could be the chance. If I was at the record trade, give the fans the film they've been wanting. Just out of curiosity, did anybody actually watch The Last Resident Evil films? I did. They, they left it open to sequel, that's what I would say. But <laughs> I was going to say The Last so far. <laughs> that was confirmed to be, well, it was called The Last Chapter, wasn't it? So that was confirmed to be the last one. Yeah. Um, and a reboot, obviously they need to just tear it all down and start again having the same characters wouldn't make sense but they did leave it open I think so that they could revisit it in the future it's yeah. not like it was they drew a line under everything like um, at the end of other films that you might watch they did definitely leave it open yeah yeah um, well hopefully just because you can make a film doesn't mean you should make a film <laughs> um, well uh, Alex so what is your biggest uh, news story of the week uh, my one is about uh, the writer Anthony Horowitz, actually, who uh, has um, been in a bit of trouble recently because he apparently his uh, publisher has told him to stay away from uh, writing black characters that was patronising for him as a white writer to write uh, black characters, basically. Um, which he said his response was that he's just going to play it safe and just write a 62-year-old white Jewish man. So no, I just thought it was an interesting, you know, he's a screenwriter. It's been quite interesting seeing people, you know, it's, it's kind of like confused people on both sides, really, on all sides of it, really, because, you know, it's, um, is it, should we be, you know, it sounds like he's only being sensitive, is it passionizing for someone, you know, is it, 
Well, it depends uh, what his writing's like, because if he's writing really horrible stereotype characters, then it probably should stop. Yeah, honest. yeah, no, I know. It is the quality of books, yeah. That, but, you know, as, as you said, um, writers need kind of that freedom to yeah. write diverse characters. Um, and if he's being censored in a way, then, you know, it, are all these characters in this third uh, film just going to be the same? Is he not going to be able to write uh, female characters? Well, you know, I think you're right. You know, he needs to write it. And then if it is a whole other stereotypes and just terrible, then yeah, you know, you know, shouldn't be, you know, don't publish it. But, you know, but it was... Uh, is he the one that got into a bit of trouble for... Yeah, yeah, yeah with Idris Elba. He, he, he said Idris Elba was too street to play on. So oh. I think he's coming along at once, Anthony Horowitz, having a bad fortnight, I think. Oh, I think no, 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 no. Uh, I don't think, you know, when he was saying he was too street, you know, it's obviously not a good choice of words, but obviously I don't think Anthony Horowitz, you know. I, th- I think what he was talking about was more, he hasn't got the class that maybe, you know, Sean Connery definitely has. <laughs> yeah, but okay. So, 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 um, so we know that you're a massive Sean Connery fan. Yeah. But um, I, I mean, I, it's been a while since I've seen the earlier Bond films, but I distinctly remember him having uh, sort of like a bruiser sort of. Um, you know, he wasn't as I'd say the most suave one when he played on the fact that he was like a, a British gentleman was yeah. Roger Moore. <laughs> I'm not saying that Roger Moore was a better Bond. I'm not saying Roger Moore was a better Bond. I mean, it's been a while since I've actually seen nearly a Bond film, but Sean Connery was always a bit of a rough and tumble sort of a fighter type of James Bond. Yeah, you know, I heard a rumour that uh, in Flaming did actually even want Sean Connery to play Bond at first. He actually wanted Cary Grant or someone like that. I don't know, I don't know if that's true or not. Well, well, if you've ever seen uh, Never Say Never Again, uh, and even Sean Connery didn't want to play James Bond. I did hear uh, another part of that rumour as well. They said that Ian Fleming actually rewrote the character of James Bond to make him half Scottish and half Swiss based on Connery's performance. He actually liked it that much. That's interesting. So what do you guys think about the rumours of it just sell before Bond? Perfect. Yeah, it'd be great. I've got to admit, it must be at the top of the list of uh, the potential actors out there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I absolutely love Luther. Did anybody see that documentary of him becoming a kickboxer? No. Oh, my word. So basically, he travelled the globe uh, learning different types of martial arts, and then he became a professional kickboxer, and he had a professional debut match, which he won in about 40 seconds. He was an absolute monster, yeah. honestly. How, how anybody can watch that and then say, oh no, he wouldn't make a James Bond. He'd be able to do some Oh yeah, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, he looks like he could legitimately be a spy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Joel, what do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, I like him. I think he'd make a good James Bond, but... I personally want Daniel Craig to, to continue on for a few more, I think. I just think he suits the role very well, so don't have a problem with him, but maybe in the future for me. So this leads us on to the main part of the podcast, Films on Trial, and this week's film on trial is Alien 3. So we thought with Alien Covenant being number one at the box office and it being the 25th anniversary of the release of the film, why not talk about Alien 3. Is it an underrated cinematic masterpiece or is it a big hot mess? That's what we're going to find out today. Um, So just to kind of recap on what Alien 3 is, it comes after Aliens. Um, So you've got Alien, Aliens, Alien 3 and then Alien Resurrection. The the whole numbering of the whole franchise is, is completely off for me but it is the third one in the series and it picks up where Aliens left off. And it, it starts on this uh, kind of 
uh, industrial uh, monk inhabited prison like planet um, called Fury 161 and we find Ripley in a kind of uh, abandoned or crashed spaceship from uh, aliens with her uh, mates uh, Hicks, Bishop and Newt all dead and the film just picks up the pace and the bleakness from there to be honest uh, so uh, acting as the judge this week is going to be Alex hello right well uh, in my role as judge I think I'm going to call the defence first so oh. if the defence would like to come forward Gav you're going to be defending the aliens Three. Aliens three. Uh, so, um, so, so this is a bit of a, a bit of a kick in the teeth for me because I was hoping to be the prosecution because I've written so much, <laughs> so so much about it. But I'm going to step up to the challenge. Uh, it's it's also really uh, good for us because Alex has never actually seen nope. Alien three. So this is hopefully uh, going to be our chance to get him yeah, or convince me. him to put it in the hit list. So, um, so I thought I'd start off with the setting. Okay, so um, it was it was originally conceived by uh, Vincent Ward. It was the original scriptwriter to be this kind of like giant wooden planet. Um, now uh, that kind of went out the window when they got rid of, of Vincent Ward as a screenwriter, and they brought David Finchner in. And what he did is he kind of uh, made it a more like industrial style planet. It's very sort of bleak. It's very sort of um, just. Basically, this 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 atmosphere of despair and the defense, yeah, yeah. But what I'm saying is, is that it's 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 so well it's so well captured. You know, the, the setting of the scene. It's not like kind of uh, as right, soon okay. as it starts, yeah. you know where you are. Yeah, you know, yeah. it opens up. It looks like C4 docks. You know, it's gonna be <laughs> you know it's gonna be a grim place basically. Yeah. It very well captures kind of the elements and the kind of atmosphere of the film from that very initial moment. Um, and the rest of it kind of like kind of as the film is going on um, the, the, the kind of bleakness of the, of the setting really like kind of enhances the characters and the film itself it adds a lot to it um, so, so yeah so that's, that's what I want to say about this the setting Joel you want to add anything? Whoa, whoa, whoa. as judge I'll think I'll, <laughs> I'll say yeah Joel yeah Joel as the uh, prosecution would you like uh, how do you feel about the setting? Well, one, I mean, starting off, the ship obviously is damaged by the alien at the start, and uh, Ripley is kind of forcefully, you know, kind of ejected from the ship. And if you just think for a second about the vastness of space, <laughs> the chances of her actually even craft landing on a planet to begin with are probably. A billion, trillion, gazillion. To, to, yeah. yeah, but the to thing is, 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 we don't know if it's been staged or not. I mean, for all we know, the company might even by the end of the film, you know, if it's been staged or not. Well, yeah, it's debatable. Well, it sounds like it's not been staged. So, just as judge, I'm going to say, I'm going to just set the record straight. It sounds like it's not been staged. I, I, so I that, mean, we'll, we'll we'll put that point to one side. I was pretty tired towards the end of it, but I, I think that uh, it has been staged because of, of what happens at the end. Well, we'll come to that in a minute. Joel, you were talking about the, uh, the scenery. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that aside, you know, it, it's just a pretty terrible kind of setting for the film. I believe, like, they had a budget of, of 50 million for Alien 3, 
Um, whereas for Aliens, they had 18.5 million a budget. Really? So when you compare the two, you would expect Alien 3, the set, all that sort of type of stuff just to be like absolutely yeah. insane. Yeah. Um, whereas for comparison, it isn't. I do believe that 10% uh, of the money apparently went on Sigurd Wheeler for a salary, um, which is possibly kind yeah. of what, what got her to sign up in the first place. Um, and a hell of a lot of that went on um, the, the script as well before they even started production. So I think they wasted a lot of money before they even got to the set. But um, you can see basically from watching the film that they did not spend um, what they needed to spend, even the CGI. Uh, is is pretty terrible, especially when you when you think Jurassic Park came out a year or two later. Yeah. And you compare the um, what the kind of plasticity and alien to um, some of the quality in Jurassic Park. So but, I, I'm going to bring in Dave here now as a character witness, and I'm just going to ask. So as production value, I mean, does it live up to the first? I've seen Alien, amazing. I've seen Aliens, incredible. Does it live up to? The production value of those two films. Oh no, it falls short by a hell of a margin. Basically, in this role of character witness, I'm going to try and throw my allegiance either behind the defence or behind the prosecution, depending on who I think is making the better case. Seeing as I have seen the film, and try and sway the judge in the right direction. In this instance, I'm actually going to back down. I think they actually did a decent job with what was available to them. We were right; it is low budget. The CGI is clearly low budget. There's no denying that. But I think as far as the setting goes, as far as the scenery, as far as the, the uh, production design goes, they actually did a decent job with what they had available. So how did the aliens themselves look? Oh, awful. Oh, okay. Absolutely awful. That's key. <laughs> I, I mean, that's like, key. Hey, right, so with the aliens, or uh, sorry, alien, there's only one of them this time around. Um, so this is the first time they were actually shown that uh, the alien, when it is born or birthed, it takes on characteristics of its host. So the xenomorph that you knew from Alien and Aliens is quite different this time around, which is another key point to why I think that the film is actually quite a good one. Um, different, different good or different bad? Uh, well, I think they've tried um, to be really original. So, so, so my argument is that uh, far too often sequels rely on what worked well for the original or the predecessors in the franchise. Now with this one, they've tried to be really bold. Uh, with the setting, you know, it's not set in space anymore. It's not like on a, on a colony. It's just, just on, you know on on, on a planet. And um, the uh, kind of the alien as well. They've tried to do something original with this. I mean, it depended on what film you saw. It was either born from a dog or an ox, and um, so it's got more of like an animalistic feel to it. It runs around on all fours. They've tried, admittedly, to use the CGI that was available to them at the time, which like mm -hmm. doesn't look the greatest, but there are scenes when they just strip it down to the bare bones and they have the original sort of concept of an alien as just a man in a suit. Those bits are, are actually terrifying. You know, the bits where it just kind of appears out of the darkness in you know, that really iconic scene where mm. Sigourney Weaver's like kind of lent against uh, yeah. the fridge. That. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. So, the, I mean, the, that, that is a really iconic moment. Yeah, an image. Well. And the, yeah. the fact that that came in the third film, I think, speaks wonders for how it was filmed. So, prosecution... Uh, would you would you agree that the they were trying something different with the aliens that that, that, it, that they succeeded? Um, I mean, they certainly tried something different. I mean, the alien 
is like a dog slash cow alien. Really? Um, <laughs> That's it. Don't be scared, so <laughs> I mean, you're not coming back at that instantly. It's, it's so I'm just gonna say that. That's pretty. That's pretty damning. It was a it's, dog, sorry, it's dog a slash, slash cow. ox. <laughs> dog slash ox. A dog, dog slash. I think okay. it depends on, on what what cut you watch of the film, but I think it was a, it, it kind of looks like a dog to me. Um, so the CGI is just absolutely terrible. It, it's behind its time, and considering uh, the budget that they had for the film, as I mentioned before, was absolutely massive for the time. Uh, you were expected to be like groundbreaking, but it just wasn't, and the film just relied far too much on CGI anyway. Whereas the uh, films like Alien and Aliens just had kind of like these tense uh, kind of atmospheric locations uh, and I just don't think Alien 3 had that. I think Alien 3 was quite stripped down actually it, it, it actually went back to the original Alien a bit because when you watch Alien um, it, it's, it's really like kind of tense film, it's almost like a horror than it is a sci-fi, mm. uh, you hardly ever see the Alien it's all about the kind of building the suspense for the appearance. Um, and then you had Aliens, uh, so James Cameron wrote and directed that and took it in a completely yeah, a different... Action, you know. Exactly, yeah. and, you know, th- there were a lot of Aliens there. Um, and, you know, so what I think Finch has tried to do here is take it back to that original, and he has stripped it back, and I thought that there were less appearances from the Alien, and it was more like a sort of one on several, rather than, you know, kind of several on several. Yeah. So... Uh, yeah, so, so I, I thought that it worked well. I thought it was just the kind of the one alien. And as you said, I mean, it might be a dog slash ox slash cow slash alien, but that gave it more of an animalistic feel to me, which which I, I thought was, was quite unique. Once again, they tried to do something different. In the first two alien films, um, the alien was quite smart because it was, it was born from, from a human, so uh, I, I thought that it was quite cunning. Um, whereas this one is more a bit unpredictable, and um, it's sleeker, it's it's faster. And um, you're watching some of the uh, some um, some of the deaths, and they happen like in rapid fire, like several yards away from each other, um, which shows you know kind of like the speed and the way that it's targeting its victims isn't it isn't doing it in like a calculated way. It isn't like kind of taking somebody back and putting them in a cocoon for the queen. It's literally just ravaging people. It sounds incredible until I remember that this is a half-dog, half-cow. <laughs> I mean, that, that's really convincing until I remember it's a half-dog, half-cow. I'm going to ask the character witness to come back. Dave, you're very good on your actors. You know your actors very well. So what I'd like to ask you is, as a character witness, can you tell me about the different characters? I mean, Sigourney Weaver, you know, she knows the... You know, she basically... She is the franchise at this point. How does she? How is she in the film? And the rest of the cast? I think she holds it really well, but I think one of this film's strongest points is its ensemble cast. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure Gab will have a bit more to say about them, but I think they've got some really good actors here. The film was filmed in the UK, so they used the best of British. They've got Paul McGann, they've got Charles Dance, they've got Pete Postlethwaite, who isn't even credited in the opening sequence. But the ensemble cast really, I think, is this film's strength. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for me, the standout performance of the film was Charles S. Sutton, who plays the character of Dylan, and he's sort of like, um, he was a former prisoner, and when uh, the prison got turned into sort of a factory, uh, he decided to stay there. He's kind of founded a religion, um, and he's, he's this kind of unhinged character 
Um, but he's, he's very subtle in his performance of first. I mean, the first uh, moment that we're introduced to him, he gives this like really nice eulogy for, uh, for, for, for Newt and for Hicks, who just died. And then when Ripley goes to thank him later on, he gives probably the worst Tinder uh, profile, <laughs> saying, uh, you won't like me, I'm a murderer and a raper of women. <laughs> wow. Um, but, you know, he notices there that uh, uh, Ripley is, is unflinching. She's, you know, just as fearless as him. She doesn't back down. She sits down across from him and she says, no, I, you know, I'm not going to take it. And he respects that. And then throughout the film, we see that he's just like this very sort of heroic, unflinching character. And probably one of my favourite bits in the entire film is that scene where he's trying to rally up the troops towards the end. Um, he's trying to say we need to go and capture this alien and everybody has kind of given up hope already they've said no you know we're, we're doomed basically we're on a really kind of primitive uh, planet with no weapons no technology it's, it's going to kill us and he rallies them up and he says um, you're all going to die the only question is how are you going to check out do you want it um, do you want it on your feet or do you want it on your knees begging and you know it's you know it's a really it's a really really powerful performance. I'd be begging, but it's a good line. <laughs> yeah, I think we'd all be begging <laughs> apart from Charles Eston. <laughs> so prosecution, uh, they seem to put a pr- pretty good case forward. That you know they've got a good cast. There seems like there's good character development. I mean, it sounds like Sigourney Weaver's character Ripley is progressed through this film. I mean, so are the characters solid in this film? Well, the the cast was good, but it d- really doesn't mean anything. They're just wasted. Right. Um, for example, I believe uh, Sigourney Weaver uh, kind of put up some resistance to even appearing in the film to begin with. Uh, and then obviously you couple that with the fact that uh, she took 10% of the, the 50 million, uh, which, which kind of, uh, kind of you know, reeks of, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a little bit of a cash grab. But putting that aside, you know, because her performance was, as is, in pretty much all the Alien films, uh, you know, very good. Uh, but the the main issue is just how they use the characters, like um, like Charles Dance's character, uh, just as kind of, you kind of getting to know him a little bit, and, and Ripley, apparently, um, is very kind of reluctant to uh, get close to anybody again, especially after um, the death of, of Hicks. Um, and just as they kind of get close, and it's kind of, uh, you know, uh, expanding a little bit in the relationship side of things and you're expecting um, you know like a little bit of excitement there um, he's just kind of killed off just in like it, I mean it's a famous scene but it just kind of kills any type of character so development. it's led, all, led all the way up to that point and it's just, it uh, just kind of kills any type of character development dead and uh, you know I, I think what made Aliens great is uh, you know the fact that they had mutant that they had Hicks and uh, you know you wondered if they were going to live or if they were going to die and you had that all the way through the film until the end uh, and even then you, you know you weren't too sure what was going to happen in that final scene um, but that was just kind of taken away pretty much you know an hour into the film of, of Alien 3 so I think there was definitely um, you know some missed opportunities there in terms of the characters for sure. Right well what I'd like to do now is I think we should talk about the beginning of the film if you if, and sort of talk about how it starts because it sounds like it's quite a big start so a lot of you have quite strong opinions about how it starts but then I'd also like because for me it's quite interesting to know where the franchise where it's ended and where the franchise goes on from there so the beginning uh, can I ask the defence do you have 
Yeah, I mean, so one of the most controversial parts of Alien 3 is the fact that they, <laughs> they basically kill off three of the most popular characters yeah, from no, the previous Yeah, I just watched Aliens and I was a bit, you know, ma- this has been massive spoilers. Either way, I don't know how I'm going to come down, I'm never going to watch this one. So new dies. So, so yeah, um, yeah, they all die in the first minute of the film. Well, basically, so the, they have this really, really ridiculously long intro section and as the credits are rolling uh, you get kind of glimpses of, of something going awry on this spaceship um, that Ripley and the rest of the crew from Aliens uh, are on um, and then you know, when it starts um, it looks like a scene from Google Tip um, Alien is kind of <laughs> setting the scene setting the scene it's exactly local landmark <laughs> so, um, so uh, you know Ripley's uh, dragged from, from, the, from the, the crash ship and she finds that um, three characters have, have been killed off but I mean I, is that just they're just dead yeah they're just dead I'd I find I just I don't know I find that really annoying because well, you know why invest in them in you know why invest in any more characters they're not exactly just dead I think there's a um, bit of a Lance Henriksen point that Gavin would want to make here. oh well so okay right so uh, Hicks and Newt are definitely dead yeah. very 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 much dead uh, Bishop the android does yeah. make a fleeting appearance later on uh, as he's not dead. N- uh, well, he, he, he's, he's pretty much died, but uh, Ripley revives him later on. Um, she gets into his um, computer mainframe, as she calls it, um, and he comes alive, or, or a very poor prosthetic version of him comes alive and tells her what happened on the ship. Um, and he basically informs her that there was an alien on the ship all along, and uh, it just went to town on them all while they were asleep, basically. Right. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, on the, on the plus side, at least they died in their sleep. Yeah. So they probably didn't feel anything. But, but for me, I mean, this is a very, very controversial issue. But I think it's very bold and it's very unique, and it just sets the, the it sets the the film up to a good start. Because as I said before, too many sequels just rely on what worked well in the previous film. With this, they basically kind of put the slate clean. They just say, right, they've added, they've added more to Ripley's character arc as well. I mean, she, she started as this like young, plucky, um, sort of determined figure in Alien. And then Aliens, she found that uh, she'd been in cryostasis for 50-odd years and she'd, um, she'd, she'd missed a, a daughter grow up and die. Um, and it was all about kind of hair... Um, having, it was a more personal feel. Yeah, it was, but that's what Newt was, though, right? I mean, well, yeah, just exactly. Newt just seems a little. Well, so the, the so the thing with that is is that you know at the end of that, it's now the, there's even more of a determination to her character. It's whereas before she was fighting the alien to survive, now it's got more of a, a personal really feel. Weird. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, the, the old eighties cliche of this time it's personal, but it it sort of is. Right. Prosecution. So they, you know, it seems to be a powerful thing that the the beginning is a great start to this film. I mean, prostitution. How do you how do you feel it starts? Well, the beginning is pretty much all the ammunition that I'll ever need for this film. <laughs> I think I can nail okay, put, not but not just one nail, but I think I can put <laughs> five or six in. Uh, the first of all, before we even get to the beginning, I don't really think if we're talking about the plot and in terms of how it kind of follows on in the whole kind of story of aliens that there is really any reason for this film to exist Um, if you talk about like the end of aliens um, they 
get the egg sac ripped off the, the queen, which means you yeah. can't reproduce. And even after that, um, they blow up the entire planet. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Ripley, Newton, Hicks all go into like stasis or whatever it's called, hypersleep, and return to Earth, which would have been literally the perfect end for for the series. And then you could have done. Uh, Prometheus and, and all the prequels and that type Ooh, of stuff. So. They might not have done this series. could have been <laughs> uh, better if they had. So, really, as I say, literally no reason for the film, but then we'll just move on to the next bit, uh, which is the fact that the Queen had its egg sack ripped off, so there was no way an egg could have been on board that ship to begin yeah. with, because there were no eggs. Um, so, even if you're saying, okay, an egg kind of was placed on just the ship, just kind of it, yeah. rolled onto the ship. Um, you know, there were people on there, there were Hicks, um, there was New uh, Ripley on there, they would have seen an egg, and also, uh, obviously, the Android Bishop would have known there was an egg on there. Yeah. Um, then, on top of that, obviously, when the egg hatches and you get the, the face hugger, um, it needs to go on somewhere. Yeah, it attaches to Newt and then it gets shot off, which is where like the acid comes from, and then it goes on to Ripley and lays an egg. And if you think about the other films, every time it lays an egg, it then dies yeah. and passes and passes on, and then you get the chest first. So this one goes on to lay two eggs, which just absolutely ignores just yeah, absolutely everything which yeah. was set in Alien and Aliens. Um, so it just ignores pretty much anything that you learn in, in the previous films. So, so basically, and also at that point, anything can happen. Because yeah. then, it, like the rules don't apply to literally anything. So you know, if the, you know, it sounds like yeah, but if, if the alien can't, can only lay once and then it just does it, then you basically break the rules. Yeah. So so obviously the first egg is, is in Ripley, which is she has the the queen egg inside there, and obviously the next egg is where the alien comes from, which is like the cow, the cow dog alien. And so there's your two eggs, but also. Um, kind of going on from that, killing off, uh, you know, Newton Hicks, it was, uh, you know, just kind of an absolutely pointless thing. It's just kind of like starting Star Wars and saying, um, you know, Darth Vader's dead. Dead. And I know. He's just yeah. dead, you know. Remember that character you invested in? Yeah. <laughs> 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 At the end, and it's just kind of like, well, if the guy had signed on, if he was prepared to appear in this film, why not do a better animatronic for a start? Well, why would you like to be in what was the problem there? Oh, they told him that they can kill off the character basically, and he said, right, the first okay, yeah. fine. And so they used his image in the beginning of it, and then he said, well, use my image, then I'm going to sue because, you know, I'm not in it. I'm not in it, yeah. Sorry. No, I just like, I would agree with Joel that it was a grievous error to kill these characters off. I think it was a, a huge mistake. And I can see where Gav is coming from, that, you know, it brings to the sense of the isolation that Ripley's feeling, mm. the bleakness of the overall film. You know, it's not like, oh, well, at least we all made it. We maybe stuck on this, this <laughs> monastery full of uh, yeah. murdering monks, but at least, you know, at least we're all together. But, um, yeah, I just don't feel it was a, a good move to make. And no. I think the film paid the price for it. It feels like a cynical movie, though. I think it was a move of necessity just something like I say there were contractual issues but it was still yeah. if you couldn't have those characters back the people who invested and loved them don't, don't, bring, don't bring the film back just yeah or just find a way not to have them in it or I don't know but yeah don't but I've got to disagree with Joel. It would be better if they died. Let's not drag aliens down. With this one. <laughs> <laughs> aliens was fine the way it was. What yeah. happened afterwards is an alien's fault. <laughs> so do you I mean just out of interest do you see Alien 3 as the reason for Prometheus? Um, did it start it in the downward 
down with Tailspin. Oh, no, I think I think the reason for Prometheus is the popularity of the, the series and what it's like these days. You, you can't let anything popular die, so I think they just brought it back purely for the sake of being able to make alien films. True. I, I think initially it was a, a, a cash grab, basically. 20th Century Fox had, had a, fail, a couple of failed projects leading up to uh, 1992, so they wanted to fall back on a familiar franchise, so mm. that's why they kind of kick-started a third alien film. Um, so it was initially a bit of a cash grab, I'm not going to defend that, um, and it, it was a very rushed process, you know, they kind of got a director in initially, they dropped out, they got a scriptwriter in, they started work on the set before they even hired David Finchner, but I think bringing David Finchner into it was a really good piece of work because he has kind of sculpted it and made it a lot better than it actually could, could have been. been. Yeah. Right, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring this uh, to a conclusion. I'm just gonna ask you for your final thoughts. Uh, can I ask the character witness, be concise, please, but can you bring your final thoughts to Alien Three after listening to prosecution defence that you think? As the guy who's been sat on the fence, I've agreed with the defence on some things, I've agreed with prosecution on others. Overall, I'm going to say prosecution's got this film. This did not pan out well. This was not a great film. And it's a serious flip. The ensemble cast, you said? Yeah, it's a great ensemble cast. There's good points to the film, there are good points, but overall, I don't think it was strong enough to say that this was a film that that flopped and deservedly so. Uh, Defence. Well, I'll try and follow on from that. You know, this is my last kind of hurrah to try and uh, dissuade you that Alien 3 is actually an alright film. Um, I think it is. I think it starts off, it sets the tone really well in the beginning. As I said, it's very controversial moments, but it starts off, you know, it kind of plants its flag to say, look, this is something new, this is something completely original from the series, and we're just going to go with it. It's a great return to horror, as I said earlier. Uh, I think Sigourney Weaver herself gives a fantastic performance as Ripley, and there's a beautiful kind of character arc from where she started in Alien to where she ends in Alien 3. Uh, I thought David Finchner as the director, uh, you know, there's a very nuanced, uh, beautiful way that he filmed it. And the setting, I think, you know, the, the kind of the desolate, hopeless feeling uh, that the characters kind of portray throughout the film is also encapsulated by the setting itself. Uh, and I, I think that, um, okay, it's not alien, it's not aliens, but it's not bad. I mean, you look at the Godfather series, I mean, Ooh. you've got, you've got... Ooh, let's <laughs> not, shall we? Let's, let's, let's not, no, really. Not, oh, I could discuss Godfather all night. I know, but are we going to compare the alien... And I know it's apples and pears, but what I'm saying ah. is, is you've got two of the greatest films of all time, Godfather 1 and Godfather 2, okay, yeah. but what I'm saying is Godfather 3 isn't a terrible film, it's just not as good as the first two, and that's what I'm saying, Alien is like, Alien and Aliens are two amazing films, but Alien 3, it's not as good as the first two, but it's not a bad film. Okay, as for Judge of Ridley Hurt Case, it's got like top three of the worst films ever made. Oh, but, uh, <laughs> hey, hey. I, I, we're going to move on from there. Clearly, that's in front of a podcast. I'm going to bring it to the prosecution. Would you like to uh, rest your case, please? Um, well, it's a reasonably hot victory for me, just because. Uh, <laughs> he I mean, hasn't decided yet. <laughs> I mean, uh, Aliens is one of my all-time favorite films, and just you know, the first two films are just absolute classics, especially for anybody. Uh, kind of growing up in our era and before um, but also what kind of speaks volumes about it is that David Finchner basically 
uh, refuses to have anything to do with the film. Mm. Um, like the director's cut isn't even a director's cut; it was just bodged together by Fox, um, and he, you know, just dislikes the film from from start to finish, which basically tells you everything you need to know, especially when you look at his uh, kind of uh, profile in terms of the films he's directed since then. Um, you know, I think he knows kind of what's good and what's not. Um, so I think that, that pretty much sums it up. Okay, so I mean, I think I've heard all of your arguments. I think I'm ready to make my decision. Um, you know, it sounds like there are some things to recommend. I did, you know, I haven't seen it before, so things that might make me want to watch it are the ensemble cast. But it does, I mean, it's really hard to get the idea of this half dog, half cow out of my head. And it's, <laughs> it really is. No, the whole time all I've been thinking is they're talking about something that has, they're being chased by half dog, half cow. Well, the entire way through. Well, that's, that's terrifying that there's different cuts and there's different aliens. And the fact that, yeah, it really, really annoys me the idea that uh, Newt and Hicks and all of those from Aliens, which I love that film, just watched it, they're dead. That just sounds like so cynical and just silly. So, I have to say, and I've got a feeling everyone in this room agrees with me, that Alien 3 is definitely, definitely a good film to put number one on our shit list for, for this podcast. So, yeah, no, I, you, did a, you did a fantastic job. Gareth, I'm not going to deny it. <laughs> can I, can I just Alien check? 3 sounds awful. I've, I've the only one who's been allowed to be completely impartial throughout this whole thing. You know, Joel's had his role to play, Gav's had his role to play, so my films have been my own. Joel, I think you've been pretty true to yourself. That, you're, that what you've said tonight is what you truly feel about this film. Mm. Gav, can I just ask? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now that all said and done, now that it's over, what are your honest thoughts on Alien Three, Gav? Oh, it's so bad! <laughs> it was so so bad. This is this has taken me so long to think of a defence for the film because it was so so bad. And, oh, I just as you said initially, it just starts off with that big sledgehammer to the chest. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, all your favourite characters from the second one. Well, they're no more. They're completely dead. I've written some notes here about like kind of my favourite bits from the film. And um, so when Ripley is, is pulled from the kind of the crashed ship, and um, she's she's she needs to be cleaned up because she's covered in dirt, and they decide to clean her with um, uh, cotton balls soaked in water. <laughs> like, no, I, I understand that you know it's a very primitive <laughs> sort, of, <laughs> sort of planet. You know, there's no there's no tools or anything, but surely they must have some sort of rag or something, <laughs> or like a shower. I mean, yeah. since they're going six foot two, that's going to take them a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I, another thing I've written down here is is um, the, the, the bit where um, uh, Paul McGann. Uh, two of his colleagues are killed in front of him and he gets covered in this blackberry jam like sort of blood and he runs off hiding and he's the sort of kind of the catalyst for um, trying to find the alien and actually you know uh, adding a bit of plausibility to Ripley's story um, but he kind of runs first thing straight to the mess hall and he starts eating a load of lentils and the chef comes in carrying a stack of about 200 plates oh, and drops exactly. drops them at the sight of Paul McGann in probably the most chuckle vision-esque <laughs> way possible like individually dropping every single plate but I mean because what you were talking about with the bleakness of the scenery just had this really clang as well when it's trying to bring in that deal well not to be honest I mean for me when I was watching it it was, it was almost like you couldn't move behind any of the characters because they'd already given up uh, everybody was kind of like, oh yeah, well we're dead, you know. So it's yeah. it it bleak, and there's just yeah, yeah, not worth yeah. Watching. yeah. Uh, I mean, like, the the only kind of the main note that I've taken away from here is uh, when um, Ripley and um, Charles Dance hook up, 
and I've written down in my notes uh, Ripley and the Doctor do the uh, no pants Charles dance. Yeah, oh, very nice. Thanks. Very Thanks. nice. Yeah. Very nice. <laughs> so, Recorded for history. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so um, right. Um, so, are we, are we quite happy now that well, uh, I'm Alien glad they made the right judgment? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but we're happy that Alien Three has, has been condemned to the right lists. Yeah, I think it's yeah. the best. Okay, right. Well, so moving on. Um, so, just looking at the week ahead, we've got the release of uh, Pirates of the Caribbean Five. Can you believe? Sansar's End? Is, is it? Brackets Bell? I saw it on a. Salazar's Revenge. Revenge. Yeah, <laughs> Revenge. That's a different film, Salazar's Easy. End. <laughs> Easy. Easy. So, so, I think you know, it would be fair to say that our next podcast should maybe judge one of the pirate stones. Okay. And considering we've started off with Alien 3, not Alien or Aliens. I would uh, vote perhaps the most recent one. Um, what was that called? Um, on Stranger Tides. Which is number which one? Four. Mm-hmm. Pirates yeah. of the Caribbean four. Are we all mm-hmm. happy with that? Life yeah. after Kieran Knightley on the Land of Bloom, basically. I didn't even know it had got to this point. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, before we actually review it and before we draw a close to this podcast, um, let's pick our roles for next week. So, as I said earlier, names in a hat, and we're going to decide who does who. Right. Um, or who does what? Who does who? <laughs> That's a different podcast altogether. See you the next week. That's when we'll judge Salazar's end. Okay, so, so acting as judge, we've got Joel. Uh, acting as defence, we've got Dave. Acting as prosecution, Brucey. And that leaves one more left character witness, an impartial uh, member of the team, it's me. So thank you everybody for listening. Uh, this has been Films on Trial. Uh, please give us a like, please give us a share. Um, all of our social media details are in the link below. Um, so next week we are going to be reviewing Pirates of the Caribbean 4. Will it be on the hit list? Will it be on the shit list? Who knows? We'll find out and hopefully we'll see you there. Goodbye. Goodbye.